0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil, and my guest today is Tara Bradham. She's an Olympic hopeful and the author of Swimming for Freedom, which is available now. Tara is absolutely fantastic. What she's been through in her life was um, difficult to say the least. And I'll let her explain a lot of that throughout the episode. And it was a great conversation. And I. It was difficult to listen to uh, considering how much this poor girl has been through, but it's also incredible because now she is on the other side and she's able to help a significant amount of people through her story, through her experiences, through her wisdom, which is exactly why I love to have people like her on their show. So without further ado, here is Tara Bradham. Hello and welcome to For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and this is a show where we have the nice intersection of sports and business and we get to talk to incredible athletes and today I have Tara Bradham. She was an Olympic hopeful. She's an author. She is the author of Swimming for Freedom, available now. Tara, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm excited.
0: The pleasure is all mine. I have never been the best at anything in the country. Um, So I'm very excited to talk to someone who has been and get to chat a little bit about that. You've also published the book as of yesterday, as you just told me again, congratulations. That is so incredible. So kudos to you there. But Tara, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is why do you love sports so much?
1: You know, I think there's just something innate in me that has to compete and it's such an outlet for me and I know everyone's wired very differently and I have some friends who are like, man, I'm just so type B, I don't care. I mean, you know, I'm that way in board games, I need to compete Mm -hmm. and it's an outlet and it's fun and it builds community and lifelong friends and just teams and getting behind something. I mean, we we all want to fight for something, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's why the NFL is huge and it's just, it's fun. It encompasses everything. I think John Wooden said sports don't build character. They reveal it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's no truer test or show of who we are than being intimately involved in sports.
0: Yeah, it is. It's definitely that competition aspect. I mean, humanity, we, we have it somewhere in us. And as you said, some people are a little more type A, some people are a little more type B. Um, board games, I don't, doesn't sound like I really want to play against you in any capacity. Maybe have you on my team, but I don't really think I might want to play against you. But uh, it's definitely you know, having that competition, it is innate to human beings, which I think is very important. As you said, it's nice to fight for something as we're seeing kind of what's going on around the country as well. I think that's another great, um, you know, uh, plug there as well. So let's, um, you know, so you, an Olympic hopeful, you unfortunately missed Olympic trials a couple times, but came within a second, if I'm not mistaken, both times, which geez, uh, let's just start with that. But how, um, let's talk about swimming. How did you get into swimming and I guess at what point did it start to click? Because I mean, everyone kind of knew somebody that had a pool in their backyard, right? But I guess what was it that kind of brought you and, and, and pushed you to, I guess, that next level, let's say?
1: Yeah, so we'll talk more about this later, but just on the like Olympic hopeful note, I mean, I in, in terms of the, General world, I was decently close, and I was at the very beginning of my career on track of, of racing people who end up becoming Olympic gold medalists. Um, but by the end, it was very different, and so we'll we'll get into that. But going hey, back,
0: so, so one point to that, this is my show. You're an Olympic hopeful on my show. How's that sound? Okay, deal. All right, let's roll. Okay,
1: okay, um I need someone to put me in my place sometimes, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, starting swimming neither of my parents swam we didn't know anything about it my brother I have an older brother by 16 months he just um started before I did and I just was at his swim meets board so I thought I would start and we were actually before that just in a neighborhood pool swimming around and a lifeguard said to my mom hey do you do your kids swim at Texas gold and she's like what's Texas gold And like, he's like, do you know what USA Swimming is? She's like, what's USA Swimming? And he's like, lady, like you have brushstrokers and you need to put them in this sport. And so I'm sitting here like this teenage, maybe high schooler lifeguard completely changed my life Forever. And like what 10 second moments do you have in Mm -hmm. your life that just completely changed the trajectory forever? So that's where it started. And then we got into the summer league team. And then there's actually a typo in the book. My parents wrote it. They're like, this is not right. I said I started swimming year round at eight. I was actually five when I started swimming year round. Um, So I really don't even know anything different.
0: It's just been there your whole life. And shout out to that lifeguard. I don't know if you yeah. found him or grabbed his name or her name or, or, you know, maybe we can send him a thank you card in some capacity. No, uh, I have know. no
1: idea who he was.
0: It'll be difficult. Tracing that back, it might be a little difficult, especially because it was a few years ago now. But that would be kind of cool. Maybe send him a book. Just be like, hey, man, just wanted to let you know he kind of changed my life. Appreciate you. Uh, that would be kind of fun. But I guess so you know, as you said, you started swimming year round at five years old. And as again, you said, it's, it's just everything you've ever known. How, how do you, how do you go from just like, Oh, this is cool to, Hey, let's, let's really dive into this for lack of a better term Uh, and really figure out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for lack of a better term, really understand that, Hey, there's potentially a career path here. And I guess how early on does that really even happen in someone's life?
1: Yeah. So for me, I mean, I was competing in the South Texas championships by eight. I think I won that at the bottom of my age group. And that's when people are like, this is nuts. And Mm -hmm. I think I qualified for the state championships. And um, I just had this competitive nature. And if you read the book, I mean, I was just born intense. I mean, beyond Mm -hmm. intense. And from the moment I could crawl around fixing things in the house. And so I don't know that you can teach that, you can teach form and everything else, and yes, I developed it, and you can hone it. But I just was made that way, and so honestly, you know, I talk about when I first started swimming; it was cold. I didn't like it. I played with ladybugs, and it just something in me. I mean, we like to win, we mm-hmm. like to be good, and and that just lit a fire in me. Of and Eddie Reese, a uh, great coach, t- said once: "People who win are not those who like to win." people who win are those who hate to lose. Mm -hmm. And I hated to lose. I mean, I hated it. And I think that's just how I fell into it. I was, it was this outlet. And yeah, I think you can tell really young, obviously that doesn't always pin out. Sometimes it's puberty, sometimes it's circumstances like mine, Um, but I think you can tell that talent very young, Mm -hmm. or at least the possibility being there.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, everybody kind of, we all knew that kid on the baseball field that was picking daisies or or, or uh, dandelions. And it sounds like you were uh, playing with ladybugs. But as you said, at some point, it really did start to light a fire underneath you and within you that allowed you to then carry that and say, you know, man, this winning thing is kind of cool. This losing thing is really terrible. You know, some, some people run faster out of fear, right, than they do um, when they're trying to chase somebody. So it's always very interesting there. And so after a few years of starting, you said you know by eight you're already you know winning championships, state championships within the bottom of your age group from age or from 2004 to six, you were the fastest in the United States in a couple different categories for your age group. I know there's a couple caveats there, but it's still pretty yeah. darn impressive. What it, what it, like what age are we talking between 2004 2006 range?
1: So age 10 to 12.
0: Okay. And that's kind of that's a very important. I mean, we see people in the Olympics all the time around like 17-ish every once in a while. Sometimes you know, Katie Ledecky 15, is, really young. yeah yeah yeah. Katie Ledecky is just insane what she's capable yeah, of doing. She's you know? amazing. Yeah, it's you know we can't compare everybody to Katie Ledecky, of yeah. course. But um, you know, so there there it is. It uh, does skew a little younger in certain situations. So ten to twelve, I'm assuming people are really kind of paying attention and starting to hone in at that point. What was it like being that young and, and people being like you know Tara? you got this ability, maybe you're going to go to the Olympics one day. Like how, how do you even like understand what the heck's going on there?
1: Yeah. You know, I remember my parents, you know, you don't even know what college is at 10, but people yeah, right? telling them, you know, your daughter will get a full ride anywhere she wants if she keeps this up. And mm. I remember them saying like, don't let her get, you know, distracted with boys or get into drugs and you'll be fine. <laughs> Whoa! Okay. And you know, but just those yeah, I guess, that, yeah. that derail careers. Yeah. Yep. Um, Boys and and drugs.
0: I mean, (laughs) hand in hand. Right.
1: I mean, right. There's some truth. And yeah, there is.
0: There is. There is. Wait, what was your
1: question? I went off on the rant. uh, No, you're perfect. Like at
0: at age 10 to 12. Like, what is it like people telling you like you're really damn good. You might get a full ride to college. You might be able to go to the Olympics in a couple years and you're only 10 years old.
1: Yeah. So I love pressure and this is where I'm a little bit different than most people. I mean, the more pressure, the better. I mean, I loved the, the close races, the bigger, the crowd. And so to me at that time, I, my parents moved us to where we were driving 45 minutes, one way, twice a day. We carpooled with some neighbors to practice, to train under this Olympic coach, Randy Reese. And so I was in his group. I mean, I was, 10 years old training with national champions and people, you know, seventeen, eighteen, 18, even, even higher. And to me, it was just race the person next to you. Mm-hmm. And like, if I can, you know, maybe if I can beat them on their worst day, and it's my best day, I don't care. And maybe I didn't beat some of them. Maybe, you know, I was at the bottom of the group, but just being with that level, it's just, you rise to the level of the people around you, or you fall to that level. And I am a huge dreamer. And so to me, I was like, I can do this. And, and I I fully believed it until everything got mm-hmm. a little derailed. So, yes.
0: So we kind of do have to talk about that. Unfortunately, you did suffer a shoulder injury. Um, self-inflicted. Am I allowed to say that?
1: Not In- on purpose. Of <laughs> but- course,
0: not on purpose. I got, you, You tell the story. You're probably better at telling it than I am.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the state championship when I was 12 years old, so almost 13, you can only race seven events at the Texas age group state championship. And I had raised six of seven. Mm-hmm. I had won six of seven. And so this was the last one. I wanted to get that last gold and seal the whole championship, but it was also the closest race. And so it was a 50 freestyle, shortest race in the sport. I mean, you only breathe a couple of times once you get into college. Some people don't even breathe at all. I mean, just hundreds are everything. And so I knew this girl was really close to me and I took that final breath and just was like, it's not over until it's over, and threw myself into the wall full speed. And I felt just all this pain sear through my shoulder. But I was A, adrenaline, Mm -hmm. B, the crowd. I mean, I knew at that point when you're when you dominated the scene of, you know, at least Texas swimming in that age group for two years or three years, I suppose people either wanted to see you break a record or they wanted to see you lose. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just kind of how it is. And so I knew I was nowhere close to a record in that event. And so when we touch, you know, it's close enough that you can't tell by just seeing and the crowd went nuts. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I lost. And it was just this sinking feeling. And I looked up and we had tied each other to the hundredth for first place. And so I was like, Sealed the deal. I remember using the backstroke bars to pull out of the pool and all this pain in my shoulder. I tried to take a stroke, I think three times in the warm down pool and I couldn't, it was just so much pain, but I was just so high on the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just got in the car and I remember telling my parents like something's, something's wrong. Like my shoulder hurts. And then, you know, but we were just caught up in driving home from Dallas. I lived in, in Austin and I got up for practice the next day to go train with everyone else and I could barely move my arm a few inches. And that is where the journey began. So yes, self-inflicted. People are like, uh, was winning worth it? And if you could go back and change it, would you change it? And I'm like, you know, at this point, no, because I wouldn't be the same person. But I obviously did not. Do that on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I think the chapter is called Swimming Through a Wall. One of my coaches said you would swim through a wall if you had to to win, and I kind of did.
0: Yeah, you did. Uh, so <laughs> you there. I mean, again, it goes down to the tenacity. It goes back to that competition aspect, as we were talking about before, that it's very important. Uh, you know, even at 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, it's still going to be very important. You still want to win, especially at that age, kind of having that drilled into your head for the last, you know, seven years, you know, if we're talking five to 12 if that's continuously drilled in your head that you're here, win, you're here to win, you're here to win, you're here to win, you will literally do anything. And, and you kind of did. And as you said, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, 20, right? That's kind of a silly, you know, would you do it again? It's like, would I purposely, you know, injure yeah. myself? Like uh, not purposely injure myself. Like, no, of course not. But as you said, it wouldn't have led you here. You wouldn't be talking to me here on a Wednesday afternoon. I mean, does it get any better than this? I don't think so. But it's just, you know, again, you are this person because of this. And it's unfortunate a lot of the stuff you had to go through. But now you have the ability through your experiences, through your wisdom, through your knowledge, which you've you've accomplished. Now you can go out and help a lot of people through that. And we do really appreciate that Tara. So thank you for doing that. So with that injury, obviously came a lot of complications. Uh, uh there's going to be a few surgeries throughout the the rest of this story. So I guess what are those initial thoughts? Was it just like, oh, I bruised it. Like, did you, did you think about it? Did you talk to your parents? Like, Hey, like I, I hit my, you know, your coach, I really swam through that wall and you know, my shoulder, it's not feeling so great. Do I take a couple of days off? Do we, I don't know. Do you get cortisone shots at 12? I don't really know how any of this works. So I guess if you don't mind, on yeah. So
1: it was a really vicious cycle. And I think a huge part of my story is people are like, you know, get a mentor who's who's been through an ACL surgery. And I totally respect people who've come back from that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. But the, the difference in my story was I didn't have a diagnosis or a correct diagnosis for seven years, Ugh. even amid surgeries. And so there's a monumental difference between saying I got injured and this is what it is and I'm going to recover Versus trying to recover, being told you're insane, being said there's not, told there's nothing there mm-hmm. for all this time. And so I was not only battling the pain, but also like, am I crazy? Like, it, what is going on? And so part of the cycle was I was so young when it happened that doctors are like, this didn't really believe the injury could be that severe. Right. And they said, well, maybe it's because you were training at this high of a level and you overworked it too young. Maybe you started doing weights too young. And yes, we knew that there was this instant, but over time, I, I kind of took that race out of the narrative. I told doctors because it had just been so many years. And initially I kicked just with my arms at my side. Um, (laughs) any swimmer who's like, Oh, my shoulder hurts. And they, they're kicking with the kickboard. I, I highly, um, I just question a little bit, at least my injury, if you use a kickboard, holding it out, I mean, that's almost worse than swimming. It was mm-hmm. so, so painful. And so I was like, well, it'll get better, you know, injuries, most of them, you just rest and it heals. And so I kicked for a summer, which was a huge setback in itself. And then it didn't really get better. And so we just tried to get used to it. I ended up, yeah, 13 years old it was the third day of eighth grade. Uh, we finally, when that didn't get better, we got a cortisone shot in both of my shoulders and they stuck it through the back of the shoulder blade so that you can do it different ways. Um, and I went to practice and I was just so elated because I was in so little pain mm-hmm. in my shoulder. Well, then the next morning I woke up, I mean, my chest felt kind of funny. And then that next morning I could not breathe. And when I'm talking pain, I mean, this is probably to this day, some of the worst pain I've been in, in my life. And I remember on the 45 minute drive telling my mom, like, I can't breathe. And so I went to practice and this is where my sick, sick pain tolerance. I mean, it's really grotesquely unhealthy. I mean, I was questioning like who will come to my funeral if I died. And I just kept swimming because that was that, that in incredible drive I had. I mean, of course it was a hypoxic set that day, which is breath control. And I went to the back of the lane like hoping someone would notice. And and I survived that practice. Well, I told my dad afterwards, I was like, I have to see a doctor. And he thankfully there was a cancellation for our normal family doctor. And I got in and he was like, I don't really know what's wrong. At this point, after a whole day at school, my voice sounded like I was on helium. It had just heightened. It was, it was super weird. And finally he just couldn't figure it out. I said, well, actually I was feeling my neck in English class and there are bubbles all along my neck and he feels it. And so much credit to him. Who's a family doctor who he immediately, you know, tried to downplay it, but he's like, yeah, I'm sending you to the ER. And, uh, we went over, just walked over to the other building and did a CAT scan and all of these things. Well, it turns out We didn't find this out for a few years after the fact, but the most plausible explanation that we got from a friend's dad, who's an orthopedic surgeon is that when they stuck the cortisone shot in through the back of my shoulder blade, well, there's all these arteries that go to your lung. Mm -hmm. And so they nicked an artery with that needle. And I don't fully understand medicinally. Maybe I say it's a hole in my lung. I've been told it was just too much pressure. I don't know. But they told me that if I had gone to another practice and I hadn't have gotten in, there's a very good chance I would have died either. Mm -hmm. Maybe not lung collapse, but just all this pressure, of this extra air in your chest causing cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And so I had made it so bad because I swam on a practice that I had pushed all of that air out of that hole into my throat. And so all these doctors were coming in. I mean, it's a super rare thing. Usually only happens to people who grow really fast and get tall and skinny or like Old people at altitude. I mean, it was just a freak thing. And for all I knew, it was just happened because I was finally out of shoulder pain and I pushed mm-hmm. myself too hard. And so mm. that's like this point where fear entered my psych before where I I never had fear. I mean, I really didn't. I mean, I thought I was invincible. And so it started this mental down spiral as well of what what am I doing? If I swim too hard again, am I going to cause a lung collapse? Like, and so I'll stop there. But that was some of the first journeys.
0: So, so just to clarify, you didn't find out what exactly happened until a few years after you said. So what, at that time. For the
1: long incident. Yes.
0: Yeah. So at that time, what are, what are doctors telling you? What are, what are your parents telling you? Like who is anyone? They're just like, well, we'll see what happens. Like, what are people telling you at this point in time?
1: Yeah. So it was just the ER doctors. They were just like, be careful. Don't go up the stairs too fast. They like asked me if I needed an elevator key at school. And I was like, no. And you just have to let it heal. I mean, your body will heal that puncture, but it just takes time. I remember I uh, was blowing up balloons and trying to suck all the air back in just to not lose long strength. Mm-hmm. And Randy, my coach at the time, was was to his credit incredible and was just very protective of like you like, don't come back. I yeah. think, honestly, I only end up taking three to four weeks off, which after something like that is insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I was just the the fear when I came back to swimming, mm-hmm. of course, I have like, it's kind of like the soreness of a muscle, like after it had not been used in a long yeah. time, my my lungs kind of hurt. And so everything, it was like this one foot in, one foot out. Like, is that soreness pain? Is this mm-hmm. bad pain? Is this going to happen again? And yeah, thank goodness for that friend who who told us that later on, but I didn't have that explanation for a few years. That is that is crazy.
0: So already we're up to a shoulder injury uh that mm-hmm. can't be really quite diagnosed. Uh we're up to a lung injury, I guess we'll call it, um that again also can't be diagnosed. So it's it's at this point where now it's as you said, like fear, but it's also are people projecting onto you that it's all mental at this point? Like, and it, you know, because if no one, none of these doctors can figure anything out now, it's kind of a you thing, right? Not a, there's something wrong thing. And I guess, again, you're 13 years old. Um, I don't know if it was like this for you, but 13 to like 15, 16 were the weirdest years of your entire life. All the hormones, everything's going crazy. You don't really know what the hell's going on. You're going to high school. You're in eighth grade, whatever it is. Like, how do you handle that? If everyone's just being like, Oh, Tara, like, just suck it up. This is you like, oh, no, this is your fault that you're injured now. Like, how how do you handle that at 13 years old? Like, I can only imagine.
1: Yeah. And so that was what doctors were telling my parents. And so, you know, kinesio tape, K-tape that a lot of people wear now. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like on the cutting edge, wore that before people yeah. knew what it was. Like, we went to those doctors. We went to chiropractic. Yeah.
0: tape to sponsor Tara and her new book. Yes.
1: Yeah. They're just I mean, we tried everything. And what people would do is they would work. You know, for a few appointments, start really bright eyed, and then just be like, I don't know what it is. And so what they would say is they would take my parents out inevitably and and say, you know, we see this a lot with with kids who get really good, really young, mm-hmm. and then they just peter oh, out. Okay. And wow. so it was kind of this like quote, fall from fame. I know it wasn't fame, but fame in, in the Texas swimming yeah. world. And <laughs> maybe, and and so yeah, they're like, This is she's making this up because she doesn't have an excuse for. Mm-hmm. This and and you know, me going through it, so now I I really question myself of like, is is that what I'm doing? Like, is maybe I am? And then I'm like, uh no, I still have all this pain in my shoulder still. And and that's another thing is we thought, you know, a few weeks off for my lung collapse, maybe I took three months off. I don't know. It's in the book. I I (laughs) did all the math, but we thought it would heal and it I came back and my shoulder wasn't better. Mm -hmm. And so it's this unhealing thing, and you're, like you said, you're trying to figure out your identity. And so this is actually where I just began leaning into God more and and also having that kind of a near-death experience where mm-hmm. it's like, man, what, like, what is happening to me after I die? Like, do I know where I'm going? And so, yeah, my faith with Christ just became a lot more real to me. I realized that swimming wasn't the most important thing in my life. And now this is not an easy thing. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. excruciating. You're talking, I went from being, having an Olympic coach tell me I had a chance at making it at 15 to not improving for three years and seeing not a whole country, but a whole country of my age group pass me by, Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, it was, it was devastating, but I am grateful for, I think we talked about this on the phone. It was just this pressure cooker of, I experienced things so young that it led me to some greater truths. Once I started surrendering Mm -hmm. that to God and learning the lessons I could learn, but. I mean, even amidst all of that, it, it was a roller coaster and not easy. And oh my gosh, excruciating! No.
0: Yeah, that's just got to be again. Just it's it's crazy to think how you, you know you hear it, it. You, you you put it really well Um, with, you know, oh, she's, she's, she's not doing well anymore. So now she has to make up these excuses on why it's not working. It's like, well, the bubbles were in your throat, you said, right? Like, it's not, yeah. that is very clear. Like, that's not something that just, you know, mentally happens. I don't think that's how it works. So it's just crazy to me to think that's how it is. And, you know, you know, thankfully, you were able to find, you know, what you were looking for in some capacity, as you said, through yeah. Christ, through God, and being able to take advantage, uh, again, of this situation, you know, as we said, we wouldn't want this to happen to anybody but it happened to you and you're now the person who you are and you probably wouldn't trade that for anything in the world which i think is the most important thing so what um how how did at at what point do after you know three years after three months after all this time and you know going through these things and now everyone's kind of blaming you at what point do you, you are you just like we there's something wrong like we really have i mean we've said that the whole time At what point do you like, hey, look, can we look inside and see what's going on in the shoulder? See if there's something that we can fix so that we can actually get to see if there is necessity for a surgery.
1: Yeah. So and this is the vicious cycle of my personality. They Mm -hmm. would tell me I'm nuts. And then my personality gets angry and says, fine, I'll prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. And so then I would just train really hard until my body said. No, and at nope. this point, I had all of these compensations, and so the way we started oh, God, figuring yeah. out and and leading up to this first surgery is, I went to this muscle massage therapist. Another thing we tried, and she she was like, "You have no muscles in the right places for a swimmer. Like you have tiny lats and all of these things." and I mean, when you have an injury like that, I mean, all my strokes, I swung my arm around like a boxer, I started swimming with my head tilted sideways on breaststroke. I mean, there are just things that subconsciously your body innovates, and it tries Mm -hmm. to adapt, and it, it protects what's hurt. And so she sent me to a trainer, a weight trainer. And he measured my legs and around your quad and hamstring that thickest part of your leg, my left leg was an inch smaller than the other one which is substantial. Like most people have a little bit of difference. And so that weak shoulder, weak hip, I mean, it was crazy. And so he actually, um, and, and this is the funny part is, you know, I was still doing 20 pull-ups at the time with a torn shoulder and, and that's where people would say, but you could never be doing this if your injury was really Mm -hmm. as bad as you said it is. And I'm like, but do you know what I was before the injury? And then they say, see, you can't handle that you're not that good anymore. And it was just this this back Mm -hmm. and forth. And he was like, you need to go to a doctor that I went to. I think you have what's called a torn labrum. And I looked it up on the internet. I was like, this is what happened. Like, and that moment came back. And so we're five years now Mm -hmm. away from when I had that injury. And, you know, my coach was like, ah, just be careful. Like, don't go diagnosing yourself on the internet, you know, which is fair. Um, And that doctor ordered an MRI, it came back as a probable tear. We're like, he's he said that means nothing. These tests are finicky. And he was actually right. But they went in in that first surgery, they did find the labrum torn, detached from the bone. And so they fixed it. But the pool of dye that he was talking about was in a totally different spot. That wasn't the tear, which means the tear didn't show up on the MRI whatsoever. And so you know, we're talking about our best technology. And those things aren't even completely accurate. Mm -hmm. But that is when they the first time they found that, but they didn't cut the bicep off. And so there were some other things that were not found until Mm. later.
0: My goodness. And and even like, even when they go and find the problem, it's still not, it's still not completely correct. Like how, like, geez. Like, so was Mm. there any, I guess, was there any like validation from your standpoint being like, see, I told you there was something wrong this entire time. Or was there relief? Was there anger? I mean, what are the emotions that you're feeling understanding that now we're five years later. I haven't been lying this whole time. People just think I'm crazy. Like, what what are you feeling at that moment in time when someone's like, yeah, you're right. You've been hurt this entire time. Great job. Oh,
1: absolutely. Like everything, all my dreams are back into my heart because I had given them up. I was like, well, I can clearly not make the Olympics with yeah. all this going on. And i just resigned myself to making olympic trials the meet where you qualify for the olympics because that's still a great accomplishment but i just felt like i was supposed to go back to swimming because god was going to use me there and i had resigned myself to that but i'm Mm -hmm. also a competitor and so it's like quote resigned, but i'm not just like going to go to practice and and not do my best Mm -hmm. but when this happened i was like for five years i've been told i'm insane and i was right all along like i do know my body i'm not crazy And so at this point, I went to college early, took summer classes so I could do rehab up at the University of Arkansas. And yeah, I fully believed, okay, like if I was that good before my injury, like let's and now it's fixed. They found the problem. Like, let's go. Let's get back on track again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Let's prove them wrong.
0: Yeah, let's prove them wrong. Right. And I guess, you know, that is awesome. As you said, all these dreams rushed back into your heart. It's just so frustrating hearing it from the outside that it's been five years now. Right. It's five years where, as you said, you know, there's a three year stretch where you didn't progress and you watched everyone swim by you, for lack of a better term. Um, You know, it's just it's just crazy that all of this could have easily been prevented or at least, you know, helped fixed significantly a long time ago. And it's just crazy to me how how it's missed by so many people. So as you said, this is five years after. So we're around like 2011. So we see the Olympic trials are coming up. As you said, you're rehabbing, you were getting ready. What is like how? how cool of a feeling was it to think like I could have went through all of this, but everything is still absolutely on the table and you know, you still have a shot at making the Olympic trials. I mean, how, how much progression did you have to have in swimming? Again, if you were kind of on pause essentially for a few years, what did you need to do and how much were you able to progress in that short period of time?
1: Yeah. So realistically at this point, I didn't expect to be able to make the Olympics that, Mm -hmm. that in 2012, but my goal is to make trials and so I, and this was the only 2012 was a year after my surgery. So my yeah. surgery was 2011. And so that is, I mean, my first surgeon wrote career ending on my chart. I mean, he said that was a career ending surgery and he's like, just warn me, you know, most people have the surgery. I mean, you might get a best time in two years. Maybe you might not ever, if mm-hmm. you can handle the pain. And so of course my goal was like, fine, I'll do it and, and have that time. And so yeah, I, right. I came back and that year. And I mean, even not progressing for as long as I did, I mean, I was still above average, you know, mm-hmm. I was still at yeah. a top 20 program and, and doing well, it's just, and that's why people you know, said the things they did, but I was like, but I, I know what it feels like to be the best in the country, my age, you know, I mean that also just having that taste of victory, I mean, to know what that feels like is, is such a, a fueler. I mean, just gas in the tank. And so yeah, I came back and I missed limic trials again in a few events. You know, I only four and I am was my best event. And I could never get my yardage up enough after this first surgery in just a year. I mean, you're in a sling for a while and, you know, barely using your arms. And it's one of the biggest endurance races in the sport. And so I raced it for the first time since surgery trying to get Olympic trials, which is just nuts. And, you know, my pacing was a little off. I kicked, I over kicked the backstroke leg and, and ended up a couple seconds away. And, but then my shoulder was out. I only had that one shot cause it was just mm-hmm. in a lot of pain. And so and then we're like, okay, well let's go for the 200 IM. And I went to Omaha and, and did the same thing and missed it by a few tenths of a second. And in that I, at the meet heard my coach who had recruited me was resigning and at the same time, I was in more pain than you can imagine. And so it's like, yes, I overcame all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but is this surgery pain? You know, I was taking summer classes and literally the pain would just shoot through my arm and I would jump out of my chair from surprise. I mean, it was that bad. And so my logic, I was like, okay, I know I'm not crazy. Like after mm-hmm. five years, I I know my body, like maybe I ripped the anchor off. Maybe I just came back too fast trying to get to Olympic trials and that's what happened. And so they agreed to do a second surgery. So this time two surgeons went in and they found, I don't know, seven or eight symptoms of all these things going on. And, but they said, you know what? We don't want to cut the bicep off because we think that will permanently in your career. And so we're not going to, the repair of the labrum looks perfect. And they sent me back up. So I was back in the pool in two weeks after that surgery. And I mean, at this point, I'm like, I mean, my mental, I'm like, okay, this is all in my head. Like they have been in twice. It's not a finicky MRI. I mean, they have cut me open and seen inside my shoulder. And so all I have to do is overcome myself and overcome this pain, which I can do as long as I don't have that fear of what's mm-hmm. what's wrong. And so with that assurance, I was like, let's go for it. And the pain kept getting worse.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, like there was something wrong with your bicep. You brought it up a couple of times already. And yeah. It seems like it was at least known the second time around that there was something wrong And as you said, yeah, now it's just pain management is, you know, are you hurt? Are you injured? Can you kind of swim through this? But if, if the pain starts to just get to the point where it's the worst in your entire life and you know you fixed what you thought was the main problem, at what point do you just say, like, I can't physically put myself through this anymore? Like, if it's career ending, it's career ending. Like, what are we supposed to do at that point? Well, <laughs> maybe this is just keep that. Ins- the answer Tara is going to have is keep going, I'm assuming, right?
1: That insane confidence <laughs> I had was just like, well, I can overcome my body. Like if the, if there is really nothing wrong and this is all in my head of just overcoming pain, like I can do that. And, and my body rebelled and, and kept compensating and things. And so that's when. And another aspect of this whole thing is just, you know, talk about timing. They started developing this surgery called a tenodesis, where now a lot of the time when someone has a torn labrum, like what I had, Mm -hmm. they will cut the bicep off in the first surgery. And they didn't do that for me, but it was like my injury progressed along the same time as medical advances, and they just don't have enough research to back up Mm -hmm. if you cut someone's bicep off and reattach it lower, if that works long run, long term. And so that's not what they did for me, but now they're starting to do that first. And so it's even a little bit sad to look back and say, oh, yeah. You know, if that Mm -hmm. had been different, maybe they would have found it the first surgery instead. But yeah, yeah, they just knew that if you know anatomy of the shoulder, but the the bicep goes up and attaches into the labrum. And so when I threw my arm into the wall, the labrum ripped my cartilage off the bone. And so, yes, they found that cartilage torn, but there is something else with the bicep that happened too that they didn't find.
0: Mm -hmm. My goodness. All of this all of this there's a reason for it right there's a reason clearly oh, you're getting, you know so it, it all it all comes back around which i think is the most important part so you miss the 2012 trials you then have another surgery they say no you know we're you're good like the the, the labor room surgery is perfect no anchors you're fine no worries so you go back to school um are you still rehabbing at this point i mean second surgery so i'm assuming mm-hmm. you do go as, I, as, I mean, I
1: rehab my whole career. Yeah, I had
0: to. Askin says, as at this point, you've just kind of been in this constant, um constant rehabilitation. So you get back into swimming. You actually do pretty well at the NCAA's or the SEC championships. Correct? Something SECs. In, SECs. Okay. And again, like now you're you're seeing, and that's the craziest part is you've still been like pretty good this entire time. We've had these awful, awful injuries, but this whole time, as you said, through your sheer will and determination and the hard work you're still able to go to a top 20 school. You're still able to go to, you know, SEC championships. You're only missing Olympic trials by a couple seconds in, you know, tenths of a second in certain situations.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you start, you come back, you start swimming again, you go to SECs. I mean, is that, again, is that validation? Is it, is it just like, nope, it clearly is just me. Like I need to get over it mentally, even though I know my body, but I'm still doing well. Like, so what am I going to do now? Like how, how does this keep progressing? And how do you keep kind of wrestling with yourself throughout this entire process?
1: Yeah. And so I think my story is a testament to what you can do with your minds when you don't know what's wrong with your body. And so yeah. I think had I been told, maybe I won't give away my diagnosis, what was really wrong with my mm-hmm. shoulder. I mean, there's no way I probably could have swum through it, but for, I'm just trying to overcome because I'm like, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong. And so I would tell myself that until my body said no. And so actually, by the time we got to SECs that year, I mean, no, I wasn't questioning. It. I mean, my shoulder was in so much pain. I was barely practicing before. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was like crying, telling my coach, I'm like, are you even going to take me on the travel team? And he knew I was a racer. He's like, look, if you can swim, I'm taking you. Cause I know you can just suck it up and Turned race on, even, yep. you know, and, and that was just my personality. But I mean, by the time I finished that 400, I am, I mean, I was with my teammate before the race saying, I don't know if I can finish this race like how humiliating would it be if I had to get out? I mean, that's how much pain I was in. It was, it was obscene and uh, you know, humiliating. And then you have the adrenaline and you push through. I didn't even warm down at my last race of SECs that year because I was like, there's no point. I know I will never swim again. I've tried and this is what it is. Like it's done. Mm-hmm.
0: My goodness. And so what, like, was it nice to come to that conclusion? Was like what like for yourself, was it like, okay, now I don't at least have to be in this pain anymore? Like I'm kind of okay with that.
1: No, because the pain wasn't better outside the pool. Like I Mm. at this point had pain 24-7 from my shoulder to my hand. And I mean, it hurt to type, it hurt to write. I and and the worst part is when I quit, my surgeons, everyone coaches had said, if you would just quit swimming, you'll be fine. Mm. And this is surgery pain. And I quit swimming and the pain got worse. And so there was, there was no relief. It actually tailsped me into the darkest period of my life where I started begging to die, had suicidal thoughts. I mean, when you've gone through this for seven years and every doctor has told you there is nothing we can do. I mean, my only hope was in God's miraculous healing and he wasn't healing me. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that he had the power to do that. And he wasn't. And and my whole thing is this was very integral with my faith of uh, there's this verse in the Bible that just was my focus mm-hmm. and what I feel like was God's promise to me. And it's Jeremiah 33, six through nine. And so if you look at this and relate it to my story, he says, I will bring health and healing to you. I will rebuild you as you were before and you'll enjoy abundant peace and security. I will forgive all your sins against me. And then you'll bring me renown, glory, praise and honor before all the nations on earth that hear of what I do for you. And they will tremble and fear and be in awe of the abundant peace and prosperity I provide for you. And so I went, I swam because I believed God had told me to swim. And in my human interpretation of what I thought he had said to me, I thought, well, every nation means the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And so I should keep going. And It turns out that is not true. And he's made that promise complete in another way, which is a book, which is incredible. But, you know, we just take things how we see it. Right. Mm -hmm. And what looking back at it now, had I not quit swimming, they might not have gone in and I could have been dead either by my own hand. There were signs that my immune system was deteriorating. We'll get to that. And so it was for my best interest that I kept swimming. But when you have people telling you you're never going to pick up your kids one day, like you can't do any of these things, got to the point where I could not turn off a light switch. And i was 19 years old without Mm -hmm. just feeling over in pain. I mean, I, my quality of life was done. Uh, there was all these things of, I've done what I can do. I actually feel like I did this because I was being obedient to God. And so my whole faith was on the line as well. Like, how are you a good God? How are you a good father? Which I know a lot of people have struggled with, you know, with all kinds of things. And it was a really, really dark place.
0: Yeah, I mean, I cannot imagine what that is like. Um, it it does not sound like a fun place to be. It does not fun sound like a place that anybody should. Um you know hope or wish upon their the their worst of enemies uh, yeah. that just sounds like a terrible place but again you know as you said it was it was through your eyes that you were looking at this yeah. um not realizing what else uh, there there's other possibilities you know you kind of a bigger it.
1: plan yeah exactly
0: you took the interpretation as almost as literal as you yeah, possibly right. could and understanding that there's actually other things that are at play here it's not just this one thing that you're looking at so i think yeah. that that's really interesting and thankfully you did eventually come to that and understood you know how you were interpreting it might have been wrong and now you're able to again as we said now you're able to do all this and you're able to probably help way more people this way which i think is the most important part and so you quit swimming you're Mm -hmm. obviously going through this stuff uh when going through this stuff you're going through some very heavy dark times let's let's not put let's not let's not make it light i guess at what point do you like what what happens next what is the next step like your quality of life as you said was terrible you probably feel like crap 24 7 I mean you're probably not sleeping so that doesn't help what yeah. do you what do you do at that point
1: oh I think honestly this is where friends and family come in and and your community because I had fought and fought and I am a fighter and I had fought for seven years and the world broke me completely and I mm-hmm. finally completely gave up and my parents were some of the only people who didn't give up on me. And I'd say maybe about two or three friends, everyone else. And and even not like just pure betrayal, but even just people at church, I mean, they get sick of asking, Hey, how are you doing? And and I'm a very honest person. So I'm not just going to be like, Oh, I'm doing so well. Mm -hmm. And it's just always the same story for years, you know, and I don't want to talk about it, but they don't know how to help. And so it wasn't intentional, but I just became so isolated. And my parents, one thing holding me together was I had chosen to study abroad in Spain. And that was really exciting for me. And so I remember texting my mom from Spain and she remembers this very vividly, but I just texted her and said, I don't want to live anymore. Because even I was like, you know, even traveling Europe, I was still in so much pain, I couldn't enjoy Mm -hmm. Enjoy anything, you know? And so while I was in Europe, they were scouring the country for surgeons and pretty cool story. But my dad heard Amy Van Dyken on the radio talking about how she had had a shoulder surgery and her nerves grew in around the anchors and were causing her all this pain. And this surgeon in Denver had fixed it for her. And so my dad's like, oh my gosh, like maybe that's what happened. And so he was like, well, like, how am I supposed to get a hold of this you know, world-class swimmer. And my mom made a Twitter account for that sole purpose, tweeted at her. And she tweeted right back. Yes, Dr. Schlegel, Denver, he's amazing. And so he works on the the Broncos and the Rockies. And my parents picked me up from my layover in Dallas, coming back from Spain. We drove to Denver, did an evaluation. And then we scheduled a surgery four weeks out. We're like, maybe we didn't get the right rehab. And so I went back to Arkansas for four weeks and was working with a physical therapist. It got better. And then it just dove down again, Mm -hmm. like the classic roller coaster. And that's actually when I had that incident turning off the light switch. And so I was like, this is my, my last ditch effort. You know, I had all this faith in the first surgeries of, you know, being justified and all these things. And this last surgery, I was just like, he asked me before he said, what do you hope to gain in this surgery? And, And he said, would you want to swim again? And I was like, I mean, yeah, of course, I would want to swim again, but I don't. Realistically, think that is possible. I said, I said, just give me my life back. Mm-hmm. And and they went in and they were like, well, we're just going to cut the bicep off because we think we're p- it's pulling on the repair. And they cut it off. First off, it was bright red, which it's supposed to be white. So that was a big key, and just like visually already, yeah. like that is not good. Um, and he, when he cut it off and flipped it over, I mean, it started degenerating underneath. And so the thing was, is the way your anatomy is surgeons could not tell that that's what's happening, what was happening until they cut off the tendon and flipped it over. Mm -hmm. And when you look at just, I'm like, God is my ultimate healer of just like doctors do the best they can. But at the end of the day, like there's, there's still so much that they can miss. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone's listening, dealing with this. I mean, yeah, there are hypochondriacs in the world, but I'm just like, you know, your body, man, if you're like, this is not okay pain, it's not okay pain. Like there's there's something going on. And on top of that, I actually had severe, severe instability in my shoulder, which whenever they did all these tests, they do in the doctor's office, I was was really strong. Well, because I was swimming and doing weights and doing all this stuff. And so my body formed this barrier, you know, protecting the injury and, you know, your body's amazing. On, On top of that, we went to a holistic doctor, actually, who we, people call him a witch doctor. He just is incredible. And when he fixed everything he could, he said, there's still something very, very wrong inside and they need, you need to go in again. And that's when my parents went looking for a third mm-hmm. surgeon, but my body had created like a bubble around the part that was degenerating. And that's what his friend who specializes in MRI saw. And so it's like my body was guarding it every way. Once they put me under anesthetic, they said my shoulder was so unstable. It was ridiculous because I couldn't resist anything. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up, I guess, tightening the capsule, restructuring, rebuilding about 75% of the capsule as well, because I had said I would want to swim and he knew I, there was no way I could swim if, if he didn't do that. So I woke up in a body brace, full body brace. I mean, my whole torso, my arm out on a pole. And I think the surgery was supposed to be like 40 minutes maybe. And it was close to two hours. And I was just like, they got it like i don't know what happened Mm -hmm. but they they found it and yeah definitely a huge recovery process afterwards but just knowing from the moment i woke up that they had found it
0: full body brace that's um
1: yeah that's they called it a gunslinger that's what it's called
0: there we go all right well you're from texas i guess right texas a&m what um them Yeah, there we go. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm usually really good with I'm usually really good with that stuff, so I apologize I couldn't grab that right away. But I mean, so that's as you said, you can feel it right away. Like what is that relief? Again, this has been what we're like 8 9 years into the process at this
1: point. Yeah, yeah. So seven going on 8 years.
0: Seven. Okay. So Yeah. Now like I'm I'm sure you're still in pain from surgery, but right. if, could you as you said, once you woke up, could you tell like okay, like Something's different. Like I know I'm in pain right now, but there is something very, very different.
1: Uh after a few weeks. And so mm-hmm. just as I progressed, and they actually didn't tell me that they found it degenerating for a few months. My PT was actually the one who told me that they're like, we didn't think you were mentally capable of handling this. So I actually like all I knew was that they found more than they thought they would. But that mm-hmm. was enough for me. I'm like, yeah. fine. Like they found awesome. something. Yep. Well, once so I was in a body race for four weeks. I mean, unable to take it off. Like shower from the waist down, my grandma washed my hair in the sink. I mean, completely immobile. And then a sling for six more. When I got out of the sling, my PT, who's, you know, a man, like bigger hands right around my bicep. I mean, he could close his hand, thumb over his middle finger. And that's how big my arm was at the wow. thickest part. I, I mean, if, and if you do that right now, it's just disgusting. So I I lost so, so much. But I think one of the biggest moments for me was I woke up one day with my right arm above my head. And I was Uh, like, Mm -hmm. because I just naturally slept that way without pain. And I was like, I don't remember a time in my entire life where I would subconsciously do that and not come back from pain. And so it was just living a miracle from there. I went on a jog for the first time and I just remember folding laundry afterwards. And just, it just hit me that I was going to live a normal life again. Like sure. I might have, ish. Like it might not be a perfect shoulder, but I was given my life back and I was just praying. I was like, God, like, this is great. But like, what am I supposed to do? Cause every single run I had for like two weeks, I was just like on my knees sobbing in gratitude. I mean, when it, it really was being like rebirthed and mm-hmm. resurrected because I mean, it's like literally death to life, metaphorically, physically, everything. And I just felt like God said to me, "What? Well, like, am I not worthy of that? Am I not worthy of you being that grateful every day? And like, If even just uninjured people, like, could you have that kind of gratitude for? I mean, do you understand what it takes for the earth to spin on its axis every day, and for every single molecule in your body to work exactly right? And if one thing goes wrong, we are the most fragile beings on the planet, right? And like, what I know it can stink to go to practice and and do the grind, but oh my gosh, what what a gift!
0: Mm -hmm. My goodness. Well, I'm. I'm grateful that you're grateful. I think that that is, is very important and understanding, you know, what, as you said, what goes into it, what went into it, and how you're able to now come out of it um, the way you did and how you did, and most importantly, then what you're going to do. So I guess, you know, as as you were going on these runs and, and you know, as, as you said, the surgeon went in with the understanding that if there's a possibility for you to swim again, he will try and do that. So he did that. At what point did that start to run through your mind again? It's like, all right, well, you know, I'm not in nearly well, as much pain. I was pain. still in a
1: body brace, let's so, be honest.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's pretty, pretty silly question on my part. I guess, when did you start getting back into the, when did you start putting everything in motion to, to be able to go do that again?
1: Yeah. So I was working with a PT and he knew that was my goal from the beginning and he just became like a big brother to me and was just my champion and coach and supporter. And so we just started working through it. It was funny because the time I went in between classes was mostly elderly people recovering and, you know, they're doing their, their exercises. And I'm over here, he's creating like this stability ball, exercise resistance, squirting me with a water spray to for fun, you know, just these insane things as I progressed, trying to get me back. But even none of that is like the resistance of water. I mean, it was, there were a lot of mental breakdowns of just questioning, you know, I was like, Dalton, like, am I insane? Like, like Mm -hmm. who in their right mind would do this? And he was like, Tara, look at this. Like you've had arguably about the biggest surgery you can have on an arm. Mm -hmm. You are trying to come back into an overhead sport. And of the overhead sports, it is probably the hardest sport you could come back to with the injury that you had. And on top of that, you are trying to come back to the most difficult one of them, most endurance races, all four strokes race in the sport he's like i mean you're you're attempting one of the greatest comebacks imaginable Mm -hmm. and to me it might intimidate most people but like i said like i love that pressure i was like yes i am like you know and the thing is is i don't believe god uses i mean god can use anyone but i think he doesn't call the equipped he equips the called and it's in his my weakness that his strength is made perfect right and so it wasn't this faith of like oh i can do this but it's this faith of like, God can use this weakness and it's going to be, he's going to rewrite this awesome story. And so, yeah.
0: That's awesome. I love it. And congratulations to you for, you know, again, going through with that. Because as you said, it's the, literally the hardest thing you could possibly, like, you've done all of this up to this point And now it's like, oh, now now try and do it after this insanely intense, major, major surgery on your shoulder, which, oh yeah, by the way, if you swim, if you ever swam in a pool, everyone kind of knows you need to use your shoulders a little bit. So yeah, that is, that is something on its own, I guess. So you start to put this back into motion. You're getting going and the story is not over yet. I know that part. Uh, we still have a yeah. couple more things we have to get through. So you are still at Arkansas at this point, correct? Right. So you want to start coming back to Arkansas. Because you said, "Hey, like I'm,
1: I'm yeah." I'm so, here, right? This like, is uh, let's see what
0: happens? Definitely in back.
1: The, the book. Um, but the coach who took over when my other one resigned, um, he and I did not see eye to eye, and there there were some pretty hard things that happened. And so through that, um, you know, I was told I needed to swim in rec hours by myself, until I could keep up with the team. And mm-hmm. that was kind of a final breaking point for me. Of I, I can't do this. And I can't, I can't swim here just for someone like, and and to be honest, like anyone in his situation would have thought that it was impossible. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. but it was how I was treated. You know, it wouldn't have hurt to give me a chance and watch me fail, you know? And so that proved people wrong, came back. And, and I felt like God had said, go to AM. and And I mean, if you look at this, first off, I had graduated in three years. So I had three surgeries in three years, graduated in three years, and then I had three years of collegiate eligibility left when mm-hmm. I was already finished with my undergrad. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I went to a just took a trip on my own and talked to the coach, Steve there. And I, you know, Arkansas at its best was number 17 when I was there and a at the time was number five and went on to just become top three and, and all mm-hmm. the things. And, you know, Steve was an Olympic coach, And it's like walking up to an Olympic coach being like, Yeah, you know, I've had three shoulder surgeries. I can swim a 2000, which is like warm up. And I want to swim for you. You know, like it's just Mm -hmm. ludicrous. And he just gave me a chance. He didn't promise me on the spot on the team, but he said, You know, if you're improving, you can try out and see if you can make the team. And so I was like, Okay, like here it is. And so I moved no option B. I didn't apply to any other grad schools and was a a tryout. And then I walked onto the team through grad school.
0: And congratulations there. Yeah. I know that's a, that's an important part of the story, as you were saying. So I definitely wanted to touch upon that. So at least you, you're now at Texas A&M, should have stayed in Texas the whole time, in my opinion, but that's just a me thing. I don't (laughs) know. You do what you got to do. Obviously, again, we can't change any of this story because then you wouldn't be the person that you are today, which is the most important (laughs) thing. And so You go to Texas A&M, you do make it onto the team, right? Yep. So after all these surgeries, all this time, all these thoughts, everything that you've been through, now you're on a top five team in the nation. So again, clearly Mm -hmm. pointing to, yeah, you were really darn good this entire time. It's just kind of unfortunate how this happened. What what was it like then being on a team where you felt wanted, I guess, for lack of a better term, and felt like you should be there as well, and saying like, all right, now I'm going to get back up to it. We're going to do this, and and we're going to go.
1: It it was incredible. Just the girls on the team. And I know you interviewed uh, just one of my good friends and teammates, Bethany, but yes, she's, she's incredible, but there was that camaraderie, but also just shout out to Steve Boltman, who, you know, I think I wrote in my acknowledgement of just like, thank you for treating me like gold when I never won a gold for you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was on the bottom of that team, like for sure. And, you know, I went, But i was like i'd rather be a small fish in a big pond and like see where the standard is and race next to the national champion in my event than not know and think i'm Mm -hmm. the best you know and so i i saw that standard all the time and it was incredible what ended up happening is my miracle was not what i thought it was and while i was in almost no pain outside the pool I was in almost more pain inside the pool and would just stop in the middle of the pool screaming from pain and, and just unable to do what I thought I could. Mm-hmm. And so I then felt like a disappointment to this incredible coach who had given me a chance. I felt humiliated with these teammates who just thought I was you know, slacking and making excuses. And we had to go down from nine practices a week to six. And it, it was mixed because it was just like this incredible chance. And, and the thing was some practices, like I kept up with, some of these amazing people and and I made my way you know up but then it's like some days I would compete with swimmers I knew were the best in the country and some days I would curl up in a ball in the middle of the pool and not be able to use my arm mm-hmm. and it's like great like it's awesome to know that maybe I could have this potential and I really struggled with like who could I be if I didn't have this injury but mm-hmm. honestly that's just it's not the right question because a it's not reality and B, you know, look what God has done in my life and and look at the people I get to help as far as like everyone can relate to having a dream crushed and it not turning out the way you thought. I mean, when my career ended, I was like, this is a terrible story, like honestly. And, and it's not because it can help people see A, there's more to life than swimming and B, like success is in how you fail, <laughs> like if mm-hmm. that makes sense, because yeah. I mean, there's always someone faster unless you become the world record holder. And even that will probably get broken, you know? And so swimmers and athletes, I mean, it's like we define ourselves by a tenth of a second. I'm like, so I ended up finishing my career. I came back again. Last thing I'm like, well, maybe I can end at Olympic trials, missed it by four tenths of a second after switching events and all of these things. And I'm like, does four tenths of a second define whether or not I came back from this Mm -hmm. huge shoulder surgery? I mean, is that what defines me? Like, I, I don't think so. And that's really hard to see. But I do think success reveals who you are on the surface and failure reveals who you are at the core. And so I just had a lot of things to still grapple with. But the reason I'm sharing my story is because I think it can help a lot of people. And I think no pain that is given to God is wasted. I think we waste a lot of our pain because we don't see how it could be redeemed.
0: Mm-hmm i completely agree and i do think it's very important i really like how you said that you know success is who we are at the surface failure who is our who we are at the core and unfortunately i mean four tenths of a second here a uh, couple tenths of a second there and you're at olympic trials twice which is just crazy to think considering yeah. as you said everything that we've been through we've been on here for an hour now and we've heard a, you know at least the timeline of the story so i'm excited for everyone to check out the book too of course Everything will be in the show notes so you can go buy the book from Tara, get to hear a little bit more, some more of the stories. I'm sure there's a lot more that we may have glossed over um, in certain capacities because we, you know, unless we did a live reading, it would be pretty difficult to get out to all of it. So maybe yeah. that's the next show we do. But I mean, with that, so you miss Olympic trials, unfortunately, but as you said, it's it's four tenths of a second. If you made Olympic trials, are you going to be a different person than you didn't make Olympic trials? No, not really. Um, yeah. And if you let that make you become a different person, I think that actually might be the, that might be the problem. Um. So thankfully you you are good there. And so this is the book, uh, swimming for freedom, which I want to get to the title in a second, but what, at what point did you say, like, as you just said, like this story is pretty terrible. If you kind of look at it from my point of view, it's not terrible. It's just super frustrating to know that you were that damn good with all of this going on. Like I could only imagine what it would be like, but then again, you wouldn't be in the position where you are now to help as many people. So it's kind of, You know, it's, it's, it's of course a little yin and yang, uh, which I think is important. So, I guess at what point did you decide, like, hey, let me, let me put all this stuff down? Like, were you journaling throughout this entire process or was this something where you're just like, "Ah, let's, let's, let's go, let's start writing and see where we go?
1: Yeah, I've always connected and loved writing. And so, I did keep journals and I had to go back through a lot of my journals when I recreated the book. But I felt like God had told me to write a book my sophomore year of college. And it was a combination of of people telling me that feeling that just in my gut, and just little confirmations along the way of the fact that I, I feel like writing is a talent that God gave me to use and to develop. And so, you know, i switched my major in college to journalism. And I actually had an awesome opportunity to do an internship with Swimming World magazine, which was, is one of the top I would say two swimming magazines in the country. And one of those articles, I mean, for the swimming world kind of went viral and became like the third most clicked on article of the years. And ironically, just even the title is you are defined by the bad days because people say you aren't defined. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. you absolutely are defined by how you handle those. And uh, swimming world just republished the article, ran it again yesterday. If you want to go check it out. But do you know that I was like, man, like I have, I have this for a reason. Like I can, help people through the power of the written word, you know? And so it was just things like that. And that's why I was devastated at the end of my career because I thought I was writing the ending to a perfect story of what I thought was this perfect Mm -hmm. ending. Cause I already knew I was gonna write a book. And then I was like, who wants to read this? And just, I ended up living in South America for the year right after I finished grad school. And I remember one of my squad mates there, she was just like, Tara, like think about how many people can relate to your failure though. And that disappointment and so i had some people a lady at my church had given me how to write a book proposal and so i taught myself on my year in south america how to write a book proposal uh and one of my favorite quotes by mark batterson is pray like it depends on you and work like it depends on god and we we want to do one or the other of just like pray bless my life and do nothing or just it all lies on us and like don't leave room for, for god doing something awesome and so I wrote this, I don't know, 40, 50 page proposal, but in faith, signed up for a writing conference in Nashville. And one of my best friends lives there, stayed with her. And then I paid to pitch to literary agents and just, this is not normal. Um, But I got offered a contract on the spot, which was just crazy. And so at that point I was like, okay, God, like you're going to write this story anyway. You know, I I would never have chosen to to, quote, write this story in my Mm -hmm. life. But I will share it if it and the whole thing is like you have to write for the one person, you know, and I I got a message from someone yesterday saying she saw my book and she's had two shoulder surgeries on both on each shoulder and is a swimmer in college right now. And I was like, that's yep. the one I wrote it mm-hmm. for. And I wrote it for, you know, but think you can't think about the hundred or thousands of people, whoever's going to read the book, but just that one person. And like, is all of that pain that I felt worth one person? Mm-hmm seeing their situation and the redemption it could bring. So I don't know what your uh, experience is writing and and doing your book, but that's kind of how I got there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I I completely agree. And that's how I've always tried to create content. Um, Obviously with the book, obviously here with the podcast is understanding that you can't be everything to everyone, you or you're nothing to nobody. So you really do have to focus on that one person. And that one person should be you. If you are creating things for yourself that you like, that you could be impacted by, then there are enough people out there. You know, we don't know how many, but there's enough people out there that like what you like to the 99th, 95th percentile that they will find this just as impactful and just as important to them. So that's kind of, you know, as you said, you write for the one person. I've always kind of done the exact same thing, but I've made that one person me because i yeah, know there's some other people out there like me that would still enjoy this type of content or this type of um this type of work so yeah the book is yeah. it is in the works where it's going to first manuscript june 22nd so uh we'll what's see the title of works. your book not quite sure yet still kind of up okay. in the air so we'll uh hopefully the editors have some fun uh some fun quirks and uh, some cute comments that we can make to make it a fun one cool. but well, it's still up in the air so we'll figure that out but come on this isn't about me Terry. we're still here to talk about you i do appreciate that though um How difficult was it to start writing all this down and kind of having, again, all these things come back from 12, 13, 15, 16, 18 years old? What was that like? And just like the flood of emotions. I mean, there was probably, and I don't want to assume, but were there certain nights where you're just like, you kind of had to put the pen down because you're like, I can't handle this right now. What was that like?
1: It it was cathartic in some ways. It was excruciating in others. And my parents have just read through the full thing in its entirety and, and said they both cried through the whole thing. And they were just like, you know, it was bad enough living it with you once. Mm-hmm. But, but to relive it is just horrible. And the thing was, is I didn't want to just write it in a summary because that doesn't relate to people. Yeah. And so in order, you know, I was like, what were the most gut-wrenching moments of this story? And kind of how I feel is if I don't cry writing it, I shouldn't expect people to cry reading it. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the time is like, I, and I struggle with emotion as it is and vulnerability. So I had to let myself go there again, because I don't go there in my normal day to day Mm -hmm. life anymore, you know, and really feel it so that the reader could feel it. Mm -hmm. And, And that process was was so difficult. But it's also you know, it's what empathy is. Like I am still need to reach back and say, you know what, like I'm living my miracle. I have some nerve damage, but in, I'm living a miracle. But when I hear someone who's like, yeah, I've had two shoulder surgeries on each shoulder, like in order to relate to her, like I need to go back and and feel yep. what that felt like. And that is, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like it was awful in some ways, but it's worth it if it can help one person
0: exactly as long as we're helping people along the way that's the most important thing and that's probably the reason why right that is that is the reason why and so with writing all that down putting this together i mean what was the process like for you and you know as you said you had the book proposal and then you got offered a contract on the spot and you know now are deadlines involved like what like what was that process like in trying to get this to be published so you know june 1st or june 2nd rolls around and they're saying well tara you're a published author
1: Yeah, so it's actually pretty crazy. I'm i am just really type A, and I set goals for myself. So while my agent was trying to pitch this book to publishers who would then take it, I was actually starting my first year as a teacher. And I don't know if you know anything about teaching. So I was a middle school Spanish teacher, and that first year is nuts. And even amidst that, I was like, you know what? Like, I just need to write a chapter a week. That's what Mm -hmm. I have to do to finish this. And so I just held myself to it the first few days of the week. And yeah, I had to pull some late nights and some early mornings and, but I just did it. I wrote it and then I edited it that week. I know my husband is also an author and wrote a book and his writing process is so different. so different from mine. I mean, he just gets it on the paper and then like, you know, he's like, I'll pay someone to edit all the little things or go back all the way through once it's finished. So I did one chapter, edited it. But another huge issue I had was I thought if this were a movie, what would be the scenes that would be, they would choose? And that's kind of how I wrote it. And so I didn't write it in order. And oh, it's Quentin a chronological Martino. book. there we
0: go. Love it.
1: Yeah. But I, I mean, I write chapter 17 and then chapter two and then just like whatever scene stuck out. And so my editor and I had a lot of working oh, through gosh, yeah. to do because some things just didn't make sense. A, I mean, it's like my whole life like getting some stuff wrong, like the eight-year-old, five-year-old thing. Mm-hmm. Someone just asked me, asked me, you know, how old are you? It says you were a freshman at this age at the end of the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's the year I was a freshman in high school. It was just, you know, so hard to get all of that straight because I wrote it out of order. But I think mm-hmm. it makes sense now.
0: Yes, I'm sure it's fine now. And that does a shout out to your editor um, for for, <laughs> for doing that and working through that. Shout out to your husband for writing a book too or writing multiple books. This, that's pretty darn cool too. So It's like we got a family of authors. Thank you. You did not tell me you were a teacher. So let me say thank you for shaping our youth. I really do appreciate that. I think teachers are severely underpaid and I want you guys to make way more money because you're very important to society as a whole. That's another podcast in itself, but I do want (laughs) to say thank you to that. So, you know, obviously the book came out yesterday kudos congratulations Thank um you. you've, you've given the book to some people right uh mm-hmm. you know so what has you know as you said your parents cried throughout the whole thing what's the feedback been from some of the people that you've handed this book out to and gotten this in front of and what have they heard or felt or said about it that you've either enjoyed or said oh wow okay maybe we need to change that next time
1: yeah so it's actually been a little bit surprising because most of the people who have read it are people i'm directly connected to you know my mm-hmm. advanced readers and so they may at least know part of my story and they've said, I'm stunned that I'm gripped by it, even though I know what happens. A lot of people have said they've cried, (laughs) Um, but the most shocking and almost it's becoming a very common theme is people who know me are like, I am so surprised that this is who you were because they're like, this does not make sense. Like I don't see you as being this intense person or Mm -hmm. like yelling at someone and losing your temper and, At first, when someone first told me that they're like, this is, this is not you. I was like hurt and offended and taken aback. I was like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't true to myself. And I'm like, no, that is 1000% Mm -hmm. who I am, who I was and how I think. But I think it's actually a really beautiful thing because I think that shows what God has done in my life and how I'm grown and how you can become a new creation and a new Mm -hmm. person. and, And you don't have to be stuck in those habits. Like you can learn and you can grow throughout it. And so people who are looking at it now who know me the past few years of my life are are stunned that I was like this. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think too, just people saying it is a sports book, but it's really not. And just someone saying, I think there was a review yesterday, just she's like, I'm not religious. And I'm not an athlete. But this book speaks, speaks to people. And Mm -hmm. that to me is just so encouraging.
0: That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the more people you can affect, the more people you can positively impact. I think that's the goal, whether, as you said, they are religious, whether they are an athlete or not. Uh, I'm sure there are parts of your story, as you said, at, at the core, everybody has failed in some capacity, whether it's their fault, not their fault. If it's something weird that happens, like your shoulder that turns into an arm that turns into all this other stuff, everybody's kind of failed grandly in some capacity yeah. or not and i think like that's being the, human <laughs> yeah exactly right so that that's the thing that can connect people with the most and um the last thing i wanted to talk about you also have a podcast now so you're joining the crew yeah. we appreciate you there that's fantastic so tell us a little bit about your show and i guess what the reason behind wanting to start one of these talking to other people's shows was?
1: Yeah. So just actually in the past year, I I quit teaching because I got married and I moved to Montana. So moved across the country, huge life things. So I'm a fitness coach. And then as I've had this extra time, I just feel like my focus has been streamlined. And so thinking of things that that make that makes that makes thought of. And so my passion has become people who live in pain or who live in severe physical limitations. And So I have written a devotional type Bible study workbook for people who live in pain. And we're going to see if we can extend that and turn it into another published book. And I was writing this other book called God's Commas, which there's this quote I love that oftentimes we think God puts a period where he's only put a comma and the story isn't finished yet. And so it's these stories of people who I, I believe God heals through miraculously through ultimate healing, taking people home and through just integrative medicine and the things that he's given us in this world. And so just stories of all of that. And as I was writing that book, I'm like, this is only like 15 stories. Like people, there's so many more stories to be Mm -hmm. told than just what I can fit in this book. And so I think I kind of thought one day I'll probably make a podcast, but I was like, no, like why not make it now and share these people's stories. And so the podcast I launched that at the start of quarantine. I think we're on like episode 13. It's once a week and it's called vying for victory with a V and, and just the, the fact that I believe in Christ, we fight from victory, not for it. I mean, and the ultimate victory is one, but there are a ton of battles left mm-hmm. to be fought and it is every day, you know, and just people in chronic pain. I mean, it's another world. It really, yeah. really is. And then having that pain, a lot of people have been really church hurt. Um, of just you know being told that like, you don't have enough faith to be healed and just some things that I personally do not believe are true. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that's a good representation of God's heart. And so trying to reconcile some of those hurts and like, how do we work through this? How do we work through a good God, a good father with the fact that there is still pain in the world and mm-hmm. pain in our bodies? I mean, isn't that like the crux of the whole conversation in life, yeah. right? How, how can there be suffering and a good God? And so that's kind of what the podcast is, is just interviewing someone each week who has mm-hmm. had a physical limitation or still does have an illness or some kind of pain and, and how they're working through it with God.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. So all of those links, link to the book, link to the podcast, link to all your socials, everything will be in the show notes. Tara, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, You're really great at talking into a microphone. So I'm sure the podcast is incredible. I'm excited to check out a couple episodes myself, Tara Bradham, Olympic hopeful. My words, don't worry, everybody. My words, author of Swimming for Freedom. We forgot to talk about the horse. Bring that oh, yeah, Got to touch upon that for a second. Oh my gosh.
1: One of my favorite things in the book, I, I'd show you, but it'd take a while to get it. But the little, you know, when you change thoughts, the little line that some people have or the dot, mm-hmm. I don't know if your book has that, but my publisher designed, it's this little horse in waves and it just, it makes me so happy. So the prologue in the book is when I was very good and people telling my parents, you know, obviously she has the potential to get to the Olympics one day. I asked my mom just with this little shameless audacity, like mom, if I make it to the Olympics, will you buy me a horse? Cause Mm -hmm. I I love horses. They're just, I was born that way too. And she was like, sure. And like, wait, like I didn't, I don't have to win. Like I just need to make it. And Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, absolutely. And so from the time I was, I don't, I think eight years old, I was going to name my horse freedom. And so that's where it comes from. But the whole journey is I started swimming for this dream, Mm -hmm. this dream of the Olympics, this horse named freedom, that symbolizes that. And at the end, it's, I found true freedom, which is Mm -hmm. freedom from circumstance, freedom from what other people think about you, the true freedom, I believe that's, that's found in Christ alone. And, and so it's that whole journey of freedom isn't even what you think, you know, I have this analogy in the book that I thought of that I just think so describes freedom. Like we think we want all this freedom to be able to do whatever we want and everything. And in reality, like, if you think about it, if you have all this space, you'll just wander aimlessly. But if you have like four walls fencing you in, you're just going to fly straight up, you know? And we think we want all this freedom, but really if we just have a few boundaries, it's like that's when we experience Mm -hmm. freedom to the maximum. So I could go on forever, but I'll stop.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Tara Bradham, Olympic hopeful author of Swimming for Freedom, available now. Thank you so much for your time today, Tara.
1: Thank you, Michael. So appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports with Tara Bradham. As I said, she's incredible. I can't believe she went through it. I personally wouldn't have been able to go through it. So kudos, congratulations to her for everything. Please make sure to go follow her on her socials. And please make sure to go buy that book because it sounds incredible. And I'm excited to get to read the rest of it. So, oh, also follow us too. You can follow me on my social media. Some of those are in the show notes, which is great. And yeah, please, a five-star review, wherever the heck you're listening, would always be very, very helpful sincerely a lot so thank you so much for your time it's the only thing we don't get more of and i appreciate you giving me some of yours and i hope you make it a wonderful day